This is Inside the Writer's Head with Jessica Strasser, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2019 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Jessica Strasser. Everyone, this is your writer in residence, Jessica Strauser, and I'm here today with an online friend of mine who I'm finally getting to talk with voice to voice, if not face to face. Award winning author Sonali Dave writes Bollywood style love stories that let her explore issues faced by women around the world while still indulging her faith in a happily ever after. Her books, including A Bollywood Affair, The Bollywood Bride, a Distant Heart and A Change of Heart have been on NPR, Washington Post, Library Journal, and Kirkus Best Books of the Year lists. But Sonali is most smug about shelf awareness, calling her not only one of the best, but also one of the bravest romance novelists working today. Her latest novel, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, is a multicultural, gender-swapped reimagining of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and it just released from William Morrow on May 7th. And there's also a spin-off novella featuring a secondary character from that novel that will be appearing in an anthology called Once Upon a Wedding, which is due out June 11th. Sonali lives in Chicagoland with her husband, two teens, and the world's most perfect dog. Sonali, welcome. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And it's storming here right now. So if you hear a distant rumbling, that is not because I skipped lunch. (laughs) Congratulations on the publication of Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors. Um, Thank you so much, Jessica. I'm so excited. I know you and I both know that books are a long time in the making. And I know it's an amazing feeling to finally have one that has existed in your mind for years now finally make its way out into the world. Can you can you give our listeners a taste of your new book, pun intended? <laughs> so by taste, do you mean actually like reading from it or just kind of tell them what oh, it's Oh, no, about? no, no. Can you just tell us a little bit about it in your own words before yeah. I jump in? Oh, I'd love to. So, um, so it's like you said, it's a gender swapped reimagining. Um, so, so it's a very thematic, uh, loose retelling of um, Pride, Pre- uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, which basically is to say there are no uh, mothers trying to get daughters married off. It's, um, <laughs> it's not. Although I do love those retellings, also this one um a you know by virtue of being a gender swapped retelling is uh kind of explores a little bit of um of our position in society in terms of gender for one and um it, it focuses on uh, powers the power structure of society i think so it's how um so she is the Mr. Darcy uh, character, and um, he is the Lizzie Bennet character. So right there, you know, those are two um, very intrinsically male and very intrinsically female characters. (laughs) And so it's it's, it's playing with roles in those terms, I think. But basically, it's the story of... um, Trisha Rajay, who is a neurosurgeon, a very well-established uh, 
genius um, level intellect um, neurosurgeon in the Bay Area who belongs to um, this family, this politically ambitious Indian American family that's uh, descended from royalty in India. And they've, um, you know, made, I think the Indian Kennedys, that's what I say, and people kind of just get it. <laughs> so right. it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's this family that's really well established uh, in, in the Bay Area. And, um, you know, and, and are and have um, pretty high political aspirations. And um, so she comes from this place of immense privilege. And uh, she's also brilliant and at the top of her field. So literally the world is, you know, um, is, is her playground. And she's coming from that um, place of power. And she treats it while she is a, a very noble person and very focused on doing good in the world and using her quote unquote powers to do good. Um, that's mm-hmm. That, that has still put her, um, you know, in, in, in a place where empathy is lacking. And she is, um, you know, she, she's, she's fairly arrogant about what she has while still trying to do good. And so there's a lot of that um, going on uh, about what our privilege means. And, and just because we think um, we're doing good with it, um, what does that mean in terms of the people who don't have the same kind of privilege and power that we do have. So uh, DJ Kane um, is a chef. He's a black British man who has uh, been raised in Southall, England, um, which is this very uh, Punjabi Indian neighborhood of London. And and so he, he is a man who has always um, had a hard time finding home anywhere. He, he, so, so, it's, so one of the ways that I um, talk about this book is that it's about this family that's trying to build home in a new land. Uh, this man who's never felt at home anywhere in the world and a woman who's, uh, you know, negotiating the path between those two things and making a choice between those, um, uh, you know, those two. So it's mm. the, that's the heart of it. And he has he's come to America because his um, his sister is ha- has been um, diagnosed with a terminal tumor in the brain. And um uh, when she goes to Trisha, who is, uh, you know, who, who basically looks at her reports and looks at her tumor and says, I can fix this. But uh, your his sister, who is an artist, is going to lose her um, eyesight because of the placement of this tumor. So there's this whole thing where, you know, it adds to the power struggle where she is now, she literally has uh, the, uh, the life um, of the one person he has in this world uh, in her hands. And so there's, there's all of this. Um, and despite having no power, how he navigates her arrogance is, you know, is, is really what the story is about, I think. Yeah. And that was one of the things that struck me right away, too, is how high the stakes were for him, uh, for his character, uh, yes. right from uh, the start. Yeah. Um, if you I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I do want to say, since we're talking about Austin, um, one of the things I think, one of the reasons Lizzie Bennett um, endures as a character over more than 200 years is that, um, you know, you're talking about a woman who has, society has given zero power to, right? She's literally going to be destitute if she does not find a husband. And uh, one of the richest men in England at the time um, asks for her hand. And because he's a jerk in her eyes, she has the courage uh, to value herself enough to say, 
uh, no, you're a jerk. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, and so that level of courage when you're destitute and you have zero power, but you still value yourself enough to ask for what you deserve. That I think is really what Pride and Prejudice is about. And I think DJ's mm-hmm. character, that's what I'm trying to uh, explore. And I think uh, there's so much I want to ask you about, but I should say too, um, I'm sure you are expertly versed at this point in many of the other contemporary uh, Jane Austen retellings and reimaginings. I think a lot of the readers listening to us right now are probably the most familiar with Curtis Settenfeld's Eligible because that was set here in Cincinnati. Um, and Curtis is a, she's a Cincinnati native. She doesn't live here anymore, but that story was set here. So I can say, and should say, having read both, that yours is completely different. Uh, no one out there should be thinking, oh, I've already read one. I I read Eligible a, a few years ago, but I'm curious, can you tell us how do you kind of figure out what parameters you're going to put around constructing your own Austin inspired story did you were there rules you sort of tried to figure out first and set for yourself um so that's a really interesting question I will say this that when I told the story um uh, for one I've internalized I've read um Pride and Prejudice innumerable um times and Mm. um you know of course I uh, it's so as, as an author and as a reader, I've internalized that story greatly, right? So um, having said that, when I told this story, I um, told it entirely as my story. So this is um, Trisha and DJ's story. This is the story of this family that's trying to navigate um, immigration, but from a place of privilege, as opposed to uh, the immigration stories that we're more used to hearing, which are from a place of trying to find safety or trying mm-hmm. to find opportunity. Um, you know, there is some finding opportunity, but it is, it's coming from a place of um you know, existing privilege. And so um, I, I wanted very specifically to tell to tell the story of this family. And this woman, um, and, and with all my stories, I think my my most important exploration is uh, a woman's journey. That's my focus, right? I mean, we all identify as um, several things, but the one thing that I think I identify most as um, in, in the world is my identity as a woman. Um, so, and, and all of the, um, you know, day-to-day patriarchy even today in 2019 that we are faced with every day not in the same ways that our mothers and grandmothers were faced with but um you know but but that's um very relevant to us today so that is really my exploration to find you know to, to say what I can and find what I can about that journey and so this is very much Trisha's journey where um you know where I'm I'm trying to see that even if you were to remove a lot of, um, you know, traditionally feminine um, issues from the narrative for this particular character, what what is it that is so very intrinsic in our society that we still um, navigate the world differently from uh, a man? Um, you know, yeah. all those same privileges. And so male privilege is a very real thing, although it's a very silent thing now. And our, our society has internalized it to a point where it's completely invisible but it still exists and so I was I was telling Trisha and DJ's story 
and and that was you know that was absolutely my story there was in terms of arc um you know the journey of the original um, um bennett uh, lizzie bennett and um, mr darcy that i i that i followed to some extent you know things like the you know the proposal but more why that proposal happened the way it happened and the mm-hmm. fallout so in those terms there is you know the misunderstanding the first impression misunderstanding that happens so there is some of that but at no point was i oh where is this scene in this book so i wasn't uh, i wasn't constrained by scenes i was constrained more by character journey i feel sure well and i do think that gender swap um it is shocking um, some of the issues that it brings to light. And I, I read an interview where you said, and I quote, you said, I've always been fascinated by how very eagerly we lap up an arrogant, unapologetically prickly hero who has to make no effort to be likable, that non-negotiable quality demanded of all female heroes in fiction. And I think that's a really good point. How difficult did you find it on the page to characterize Trisha at the start as someone who Darcy perceives as arrogant and overconfident and then make him convincingly lap her up, (laughs) to use your phrasing? Because I'd imagine the idea of trying to render that is one thing, but then the act of doing it on the page uh, could be really eye-opening. And and eye-opening is the perfect word for it because I know that when I started I was so excited about this right oh look at me so brilliant I'm going to write a you know a a female Darcy and um, you know what could go wrong And, uh, and and it is we see um, our own roles as women and the world sees the roles definitely differently um I think it has um you know equalized to some extent compared to you know generations before us but sitting down to write um a a woman who could um who who could actually just say about someone you know uh, I can't believe you're trying to set me up with a hired help you know even just use a term like that in this day and age Mm -hmm. um you know so there were um so so I didn't want to back away from what was you know well and Trisha has I mean and she is very I guess I guess she's a little bit overconfident, but I don't know how much over there really is in her overconfidence. I mean, she's a pretty remarkable person. She's brilliant. <laughs> and, and, knows it. And, and I'm so glad yeah. you said that because that's the point, right? I I did not want to have someone who makes apologies for their excellence, right? I feel like oh. like as as women and as women characters, modesty and uh you know humility uh, and just uh, you know of course modesty and humility are important things but more in terms of owning your own um you know your own brilliance that's something women are not taught to do being okay with it being okay with that privilege and i think um it's it, you know we we struggle with that and she doesn't she believes completely in her um in her abilities and at no point during the book does she ever question and and I wanted that to be how it was where she doesn't ever question that she herself might um you know that there's a point in the book where she says uh that you know um could she change how she treated people sure could she change who she was no 
um, and she didn't, mm-hmm. she doesn't want to. And I wanted us as readers to come to a point where we were completely okay with that. And, um, you know, so, so I never wanted her to say uh, at any point that, um, um, that, that, that she should be more humble about how brilliant she is. <laughs> so, you know, it, and, and uh, I, I, I wanted her to be um, that okay with her, um, you know, with her, her gifts and her, um, and, and, her, her, I keep saying brilliance, but really, um, she 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 does so much good with it, and I wanted her to be good, you know, her to be good with that, right? And so um, that was not that for me. I think of all the books I've written in terms of a personal journey um, was uh, was the most eye opening. I think that even in terms of my personality and how I navigate the world, this book changed me. Um, and, and, and I've written, um, you know, every one of my books is about something hard that a woman has dealt with. And, and, and in little ways, those, but, but those books, I kind of, I knew, right, you know, um, sexual violence is wrong. You know that, you know, that that journey out of it is hard. You know those things as a writer going in, right? You, um, you know what taboos are like. You know those things. Those are the other, um, you know, you know choice um, of life partner and anything else choice is important as a woman so all of those things that I've written about until now have uh you know have been things I already knew right but the fact that yes um you know we should be comfortable with our gifts as women is something I knew but I didn't know right because because I I am a very confident uh, person who does um you know who, who believe that she owned her identity fully but um but through the journey of writing this book I I realized that there is a long way to go there's a long way to go for me there's a long way to go for a lot of women I know even raising my daughter I was always you know trying hard to let her be okay with whoever she was and I still um feel like the you know things are said around her things are you know so we have a long ways to go so so as a personal journey I think writing this book and Trisha changed me the most of um, any of my books that's amazing and I think um, it definitely gave me a lot to think about as a reader as well and as you said you know those are issues that I feel as if I've already given them a, a fair amount of thought in my daily life as a professional woman and a, and a mother uh, to a daughter um, and a son. But um, it definitely, it was really interesting kind of watching the trajectory that that character had to take where, you know, first he needs to find her unappealing, but not in a way that is unappealing to us. <laughs> and then he needs to start finding her more appealing. And then you're kind of wondering, you know, well, would somebody react that way? And well, why would that be unappealing? It was just really, it was really fascinating. So I love hearing about how it changed you. And I think there's a really good chance that it's going to change, you know, some of the other people who try to read the book who read the book as well. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about romance as a whole in your experience writing within the genre. I mean, there's so much to your books besides romance, um, but I know they are uh, categorized primarily that way and you identify 
as a romance novelist, but I know we do have a fair amount of aspiring writers who listen in. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you think are the most important conventions for those interested in writing romance to understand, but then also address, you know, what are the, some of the biggest misconceptions about what it means to write a romance story? Um, again, another <laughs> brilliant question. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I, you know, the, the most basic, um, the most basic rule of a romance is, uh, is a happy, satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. Um, romance readers um, unarguably do not want to make a journey with a character that ends in um, in, in death and destruction, so to speak. What they want <laughs> to be uplifted, but, um, but but people often think that a romance is about finding a spouse or finding a significant other. I do not believe that <clears throat> that. Uh, that's what romance novels are about. My belief is that they are personal journeys of, um, you know, of, of growth from a place of pain or from a place of not being whole um, to a place where you find enough self-love that you're able to allow love into your life. And this is coming from, um, you know, my real life where um, I've seen over and over again, you know, there are things we want, uh, whether it's relationship, career, you know, and I don't only mean relationship in terms of um, a significant other. I mean, relationship with your families, uh, with your, you know, with your parents, your children, your friends, all of that, you may, you know, I mean, we all have been at that point in our life where we've said, why can I not make this happen? Right? Why can I not get what I want? And and generally, in my own life, I've seen that the answer lies in not being ready. And I mean that your own internal growth is not to a point where you're ready to get uh, what you want. And that's the growth and that's the journey that you have to make. And generally, mm-hmm. um, when you make that journey, um, you're you know, you're like tilled land, right? Where then when the seed falls, you can grow. Um, <laughs> this is to be weirdly metaphorical, but where, where you know, to, to, to grow that plant in you, right? Uh, of love. And then if you're writing from more than one point of view, as in Pride and Prejudice and other flavors, I guess both, both people that. then have to do that journey. So they're both ready. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing. Even again, in, in you know, as someone who is married, as someone who is, um, you know, um, ha- has had a fairly, um, uh, you know, ha- successful um, relationship, um, that's the thing. It's two people getting to that point in the journey um, at, about the same time, because we always say it's a matter of timing, right? And that's what that, that means, right. is that that your journeys toward being open and toward being healed enough to allow and accept love into your life is um, ha- have come to that point um, of uh, fruition at, at the same time. And it, that's the interesting thing in a romance, to have, you know, those two people uh, seeing, you know, those two people where where you're you're seeing their parallel journeys to get to that point, right? And you're seeing the missteps along the way, and everything that stands in your way because the conflict. I mean, this these stories are as are, are more about what keeps people apart, um, and how they overcome that, 
right? Than uh, than anything more. And that's and, and the reason that's so important to the reader. That's why we say conflict, 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 is because you know that's the battleground uh, for character arc, right? So I think that that is. Um, to me, um, that's the biggest misconception that this is about, uh, you know, this is in any way about going out in search of finding love. I think that it is about, um, you know, um, the, the search of yourself, the self that you want someone to love, right? <laughs> I love that. Um, your writing is so um, descriptive, so rich and so vibrant. And um, not only the way you write about the characters' emotions, but in this book, also a lot of a lot of the way you wrote about the food <laughs> that um, DJ was preparing as a chef uh, for Trisha's family, and just all the details were so lush. And it's funny because I feel like sometimes I'll hear people say they don't like they don't like a lot of descriptions in their novels and i think what they just mean is that they don't like bad descriptions in their novels or excessive descriptions in their novels and you just have just the right amount of like just beautifully rendered descriptions how do you have some sort of um insight into how to find the right amount and how to find the right words to evoke such rich imagery first thank you <laughs> that, that, that's really nice of you to say but but i will say that um i think it's about relevance um uh, i think that in your story everything has to be um relevant to the journey right and if we think of story in terms of transformation um you know basically going from point a in terms of um you know of where the characters are at uh, to point b mm-hmm. and then you know the the story is essentially that transformation and every single line every single um word i use every single chapter has to contribute to that um transformation and and descriptions very much so right so if i'm uh, you know if i'm describing a food uh, i can't only be describing food right so so really that food that that dj is cooking is um you know is is a physical representation of his passion for something right his understanding mm-hmm. of people um so so his food is never only about the food but about him being hungry to figure out what appeals to whom right and this to him it's it's unraveling the human nature right so which is why he prefers to be a private chef to a um, to a restaurant chef uh, because he wants to feed an event uh, a person he wants to um, figure out you know what what flavor or what taste unravels you so it it has to do with it's almost metaphorical of his search for getting inside people because he's such an empathetic person and that is uh, something that you know the the foil to that is trisha who struggles most with empathy because she's most focused on uh, on her goals and on her skills mm-hmm. right to fix things so so her the, the gap in her um her nature and what she's trying to do is empathy and with him um 
you know, he, he, his, I think his biggest um, gift is the gift of empathy and the way that he, um, because of all the um, challenges he's had in his life, uh, he's had to trap that empathetic nature into this one thing, which is food, because he's in a place where he's been judged always to be something before people even get to know him. So this is how he breaks through that. And so 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 then the food descriptions are focused on his passion uh, rather than the food itself. And so 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 relevance in those ways, right? I mean even uh, e- even with Trisha and her um her surgeries which I had such a fun time <laughs> making up because I made up a lot of medicine in this book <laughs> and then went and did the research to make sure that it wasn't you know, completely ridiculous, and that it all was actually possible. And a lot of it, um, uh, it was really funny, because I, I made up stuff. And then I went and I found out that, you know, these are actually existing <laughs> new technologies, which made me feel very smug. <laughs> but, um, but, but that's the thing is that, that anything that you're, and so as an, as an author, I was having so much fun with those surgeries that I could have just you know, had fun with them, but that's not what I wanted to do. They're only relevant in so much as they're they're doing something to the transformation of my characters, right? And I think with when we're doing descriptions as authors, that's the main thing. Are you describing uh, the sky, or are you describing what that sky in that moment is doing to the character who's standing under it, right? What are they learning from it about themselves? And and as long as your descriptions have to do with that you can um usually not bore a reader and we've all skipped past descriptions in books and i think that's why it is it's a beautifully written sentence but a you have to either let you know make the reader think oh my gosh i have felt this in this like i have looked at a tree and felt this Mm -hmm. and a reader can only feel that if they're inside that story inside a character feeling that from their perspective well, I told you this before we started the interview, but you made me hungry. <laughs> you made me really hungry. I gained ten pounds writing this. Well, now I'm wondering. Now I'm wondering what I was hungry for. Now that you're like that was conveying the passion. <laughs> now I'm it in only right. Um, but uh, the descriptions completely won me over. I have not read all of your backlists, and I'm I'm now going to go back. You have won me over. Thank you. So. Amazing. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk just a little bit. We're almost at the end of our 30 minutes, which is hard to believe. I feel like we just got started, but um, just your life as an author. Um, I've noticed that you do a lot of public speaking, as many authors do. Um, and you're at a high level now where you've been giving keynote addresses at conferences, which I think is a huge compliment to any author who's invited to do so. Um, And this is a selfish question, maybe, because I've been getting some more of those invites myself, and it it makes me intensely curious about what other authors are speaking about. But can you give us a taste of what you usually talk about in your keynotes? You know, what's your approach when you get the opportunity to step to that podium and address and inspire a whole room full of people? Uh, This is um, so, so... It it is a huge. You're right. It's a huge honor um, to be asked to do keynotes because people are putting their money down to go to these conferences. And one of the main things, um, you know, one of the main goals for going to a conference is to be inspired. 
um, to break through these walls that we can't seem to get past. And so there is a, there's a pretty um, you know intense uh, responsibility on the keynote speaker to to if you don't do anything else to at least inspire. But I think as an author of color, one of the personal responsibilities I feel um, is to, um, to, to, to inspire people not just to do their job better and to, to make the, you know be more excited about their art, but to open themselves up to a changing narrative, right? Because, um, because people are usually very comfortable. Uh, with where they're at if they're not at the receiving end of an imbalance right and so um so i feel like when i stand up on that podium while i want you to leave there having found something inside you new as an author that you cannot wait to put down on the paper on paper one of the things i also want people to think is i want them to walk out of there and go looking for stories that aren't the norm in terms of um you know in in, yeah. in, in terms of um race and religion and um you know and and uh, sexual orientation and ability and all of those things i want you to go out hungry to find stories outside of what you have been reading so i feel like that is a that that's something that's always my goal so i always talk about um what, one of the themes in what i talk about is is silence because it is my basic belief that that the difference between writers and non-writers and there is a difference because i mean you know we're, we're, we you know what that is it's we couldn't not write most writers um are not did not say oh you know what this seems like a good way to make money or this seems like a good uh, living let me go on this on the page and where you know I'm, I'm letting out my words and my ideas for everyone uh, to criticize and react to it's it's a tough heartbreaking job and there is there it, it's not I don't think that it's ever uh, a choice in terms of, um, you know, this is what I want to do. I think all writers, um, it's it's something that's beyond choice. You just have to do it. Um, it's a need and you have to write. And and the difference between people who have that need and not is um, is the inability to be silent. So we're, we're writing simply because we cannot be silent. We have to put whatever is the noise in our head in terms of opinion, how we feel about the world, we have to put it down. Whether someone reads it, doesn't read it, even people who just journal or anybody who writes things down is just driven to not be silent. And I, and I usually will kind of ask people to explore that. You know, what, what is it that, why are you writing? You don't want to be silent, but then you need to be focused on what you want to say. Because there's, you know, because that's the heart of why you write. And as soon as you realize that you're writing because you hate silence or because, um, you know, silence bothers you, you then have to care that there are other people who are being silenced simply by a market that has shut them out. And so um, that's, you know, that's that's a two pronged thing. And that's usually um, what what a lot of my speeches are about. Um is about that is about exploring why you write and what that has to do with your own relationship with silence and how you feel then have knowing that about letting other people be silenced 
Well, and it's so important for all people to read books uh, with characters and by authors who do not share their life experience. But I think it's it's just as important for authors to do that, if not more so. And, you know, publishing treats this as a sort of a chicken or the egg question. You know, there are all these theories about why some readers don't read more diversely, more inclusively. And it starts with the fact that publishing doesn't put enough money behind enough of Absolutely. those books it's, they've been um, trained you've basically we've all been trained to accept white neutrality as the norm right and so now we have to uh, if we want um you know different voices to be heard then we have to do the untraining and nobody wants to take the 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 financial onus of that on and i think all of this um advocating is is making it uh, impossible for people to, to to kind of turn their you know faces away from um, from making that financial commitment, and that's the fight, I think. But but also, I'll step back and I'll say that it isn't different. Human, you know, our experiences aren't different. It's not about different experience. The whole point is that the experiences are the same, right? You um, you know, you and right. I um, are, are, are have are different racially, but, but, and Trisha and you are different racially, but you can understand uh, all of her life experiences and her fight, right? As, as a human. So our experiences are no different. It's, it's the voice and the interpretation and the, you know, uh, and I think therein lies the point is that those experiences are the same. Then why are we shutting some out as being different? And stories have an enormous power to, drive those sorts of things home (laughs) well that makes me want to sit through one of your keynotes i hope i get the opportunity to do that one day (laughs) sonali thank you so much and i yours but i'm i'm glad we got a taste of it here today thank you so much for making the time to talk with us this has been wonderful thank you so much jessica and thanks for listeners uh who, who are taking the time to listen seriously thank you so much that, could you let everybody know where they can find you online? Uh, so my website uh, is sonalidev.com uh, and um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook as Sonali Dev. On Twitter, I think I'm um, at Sonali Dev or Sonali underscore Dev. I'm on Instagram and I also do a newsletter. Uh, doing newsletters terrifies me, so I do very few in the year. But if you want to keep up with stuff, I, I, you know, I will usually do a recipe and a recommendation and a really bad joke <laughs> from my family group chat. So they're not, you know, it's not. Uh, it's a. It can be fun <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm all over social media, um, sharing more than I should be. I think <laughs> maybe. So so yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> Well, I'm going to go subscribe to your newsletter Thank right you. now. And best of luck to you with this new release. And it's Pride, Prejudice, Pride and Prejudice and other flavors. And we can't wait to see what you write Thank now. you so much, Jessica. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. You take Bye. care. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Jessica at various events throughout the year. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.